0: the wonderful, magnificent salvation we have. So good to see you all here this morning, and we are glad that each and every one of you is here worshiping with us at Newcastle. Psalm 118 says this, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And that's a verse that's quoted many, many times in the New Testament, referring to Christ. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we are certainly glad in the magnificent salvation that we have, that we have together, in common together, and that we can celebrate together. So we are so glad that you are here. As we continue to worship together, we would ask that you pull out your uh, worship folder. Inside that worship folder, you'll find out all sorts of awesome things that are going on in the church right now. And you also find this little check-in card. If you would take a quick moment to fill this check-in card out either on paper or via the church app, which you can download for free on your phone, that'd be really helpful in just letting us know that you're here. Also, if there's events that are going on, there's a little place where you can easily sign up for events on this check-in card. And at the end of the service, you can slide this check-in card in at the white tables at either entrance. Um, If you're visiting with us, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. We're very glad that you're here. And we just encourage you to hold on to this. At the end of the service, you are more than welcome to drop it in those same tables. Or you could go outside these double doors, and there's our welcome desk. You can give this to them, and they would give you a a gift and love to meet you, greet you, and answer any questions you have about the church. Now... We've got some awesome things coming in, coming up here this week. I don't know if you guys noticed, I kind of had a, a crikey moment when I walked in the doors and saw this building looks like Australia. It looks pretty cool. Well, that's because we've got VBS going on this week, and it starts tomorrow night. So if you've got kids four, ages 4 through 6th grade, you've got to get them registered if you haven't already, but our VBS teams are super excited for the Zoomerang VBS that's coming here Newcastle so the Goodfield one is next week but tomorrow starts the one here at Newcastle but our team has been toiling and working and they're super excited Um, you can register on that check-in card if you haven't already or on the church app Um, and you can also invite other people who don't even come to church here and I would highly encourage you parents to get your kids involved in that too Help coach and teach and mentor your kids through inviting others, that their peers that don't go to church here, to come. An opportunity to talk to your kids about evangelism. But what an awesome opportunity for us. An easy, low-hanging fruit opportunity to invite kids to our church for games, fun, snacks. Opportunities to share the gospel with them, to love on them. Just parents love it because it's like free babysitting. So, what a win-win-win-win situation. So, encourage you all. Um, if you're not here helping, just please help by praying throughout the week for all the volunteers involved. Because it's a it's a joyfully exhausting. It's a holy tired, a, ho- a tiredness of holiness as people work all day and then come here in the evenings and continue working and serving and ministering to kids. So, pray. Pray for them to endure and pray for the kiddos, that they would hear the gospel clearly and that God would um, till the soil of their hearts to receive that gospel. But the fun doesn't end there. Because VBS goes till Thursday, but on Friday, we have our all-church cookout in Tremont at the Tremont Park, the big pavilion there. And it's at 6.15 on July 15th. That's Friday. And so we're going to have not just hot dogs, but brats. Okay? And you guys can bring sides, and it's going to be so good. We're going to have a time of fun, eating, fellowship, and then the kids will play on the playground, and then at, what's it, uh, 7.30, the kids get to go into the pool and play. Now, if you're like, well, I'm not a pool person, we would love you to come and just hang out and fellowship in the pool, around the pool. You don't have to be in the pool. But that would be just a great time for us to continue to get to know each other, to fellowship, and to love on each other, encourage each other. So that's for all the church. We welcome you all to come. That's not for people who just are at VBS. That's for the whole church. So we want you all to come there. But before we continue celebrating our Lord and Savior together, would you please pray with me? Father, we are amazed. We marvel at the matchless salvation that you have given us. The matchless love that you have poured out upon us. It is magnificent. It is marvelous. It is all those things that we just got done singing. And it is the reason why we have a song on our lips. It's the reason why we can have joy in our heart, no matter what's going on in our life. Because our joy is in the Lord and not in our circumstances. The joy that we have is in our salvation, which cannot be taken from us. We are in your hands, Lord, and no one can snatch us, front, snatch us out of your hand. You care for us. You love us. And even when we go through difficult trials, even when we go through the valley of shadow death, you are there with us to comfort and to guide us for your name's sake. And the blessings don't ever stop. Father, I pray this morning that you would help our hearts to be fixed upon you that you'd help us to affirm and ascribe to you the glory that you are due. And please prepare our hearts as a church and as an individual level to receive the word that Pastor Kevin is going to bring to us this morning and help us not to be just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Please transform us continually to be more like your son in our thoughts, our speech, and our actions. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Would you please stand as we continue to give glory to our glorious Savior?
1: The uh, hymnist there calls us to make Jesus our greatest treasure, our greatest pleasure, our greatest joy, and that, that bright hope for tomorrow that they reference there is only found when we are doing that, when we are making Jesus our greatest joy. So that is my prayer for you this morning, that you are making Jesus your greatest treasure. Please pray with me. Father God, your faithfulness is indeed so great, uh, so beyond our finite comprehension. Uh, but Lord, let us rejoice in that today. Uh, and Lord, in Psalm 34, David invites us to magnify the Lord with him, to exalt his name together. And Father, what a fantastic opportunity we get to do that here this morning. Father, you have brought us together. Let this not be just another Sunday morning of, of habit and ritual, but let us uh, together uh, as the saints uh, be unified and worship your name, for you are good, Lord. And Father, we come all with different burdens and different challenges, but Lord, if we're honest, we're also coming with with sin, Lord. So Father, here this morning, Bring great comfort to those who are suffering, to those in trials, Uh, but Lord, through your uh, abundant mercy, also bring great repentance, great great faith uh, for those in sin. Father, we get to share this beautiful Sunday morning with our partner church, uh, Bethany Baptist in Peoria, and their prayer this week is from 2 Thessalonians 3, as they ask for the word of the Lord to have free course in their church uh, and in their community, that, Lord, you may be honored. It is such an encouragement to be able to uh, lock arms with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ throughout this central Illinois community uh, and faithfully proclaim your name and magnify uh, your name in our communities. Lord, our... Uh, sent uh, Go Partner Scott Cruzee with Fellowship of Christian Athletes is our focus this week. And Lord, school may be out for the summer, but the discipleship of coaches uh, still continues. Uh, Lord, you're using Scott in powerful ways to to uh, connect with these coaches and encourage these coaches and mentor these coaches. And we are only one month away from a new school year, and four new FCA huddles are starting across the area. You are growing your name here in Central Illinois, Lord. And Father Scott uh, is preparing ministry plans and budget for this coming fiscal year, which is going to start September 1st. Just give him uh, great wisdom and great guidance on the way to steward the resources and the time and the talents that you have uh, lavishly granted him. And, Father, he does recognize that he is uh, wrestling with some of his own personal uh, physical health issues. But, Lord, we know uh, in your great grace you will grant him uh, physical endurance when able, but always you will grant him uh, spiritual perseverance to be able to continue to uh, faithfully handle your word and and share it with those uh, that you've blessed him with. We had an urgent message sent from John Camiola. Uh, John and uh, Missy are partners in Nigeria, noting that there are increased attacks on pastors in Nigeria, and one of our dear brothers in Christ and uh, one of his uh, faithful servants, Reverend Daniel uh, Umaro, was attacked at his home by armed gunmen. He's been shot, and he's now clinging to life uh, in the hospital. But Father, in this attack, his, his two young sons were viciously murdered. His 13-year-old daughter has been abducted, Lord. Father, this is a time of of great suffering, a time that we often feel very divorced from here in the safety to be able to worship. Even as we consider next week worshiping uh, openly, publicly uh, in the park, Lord, there are brothers and sisters throughout this world that are facing very, very real persecution. Father, draw them near to you. Remind them of your words from Peter who says, let those who suffer, suffer according to God's will. Let them entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And even if we do suffer for righteousness sake, you have promised to bless us. Lord, we do not need to fear man. What can man do to us, Lord? We need not be troubled. You will never leave us and forsake us. Father, the search continues for an associate pastor of care and discipleship. Lord, you are working in amazing ways just as you always have and always will. You are bringing new and fresh candidates. Um, uh, applications are, are coming in. Interviews are happening. We are seeing your, your faithful hand uh, at work here. Continue to give the search team, the elders guidance as they um, vet these different candidates and uh, evaluate uh, who would be best to be able to uh, serve you uh, and your people here at Newcastle. And Lord, we continue uh, with Pastor Kevin to uh, go before uh, your word through Ephesians, Lord. A uh, Powerful message to come today uh, as we discuss what being together with Christ looks like. Lord, just break down the hardness, the callousness of our hearts Father, open our ears uh, to the powerful working of your word. Uh, Let it all be for the praise of your great name, Jesus. Amen.
0: If you're able, would you please stand with us as we sing and pray ancient words in preparation for the sermon.
2: Thank you for singing that wonderful lyric together. It's a precious privilege to take God's written love letter and open that up to us this morning in our worship. So let's continue our worship now by opening up your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you today, just raise your hand and our ushers would be glad to give you a copy of God's ancient and life-changing words for your joy. Now, while we're preparing to read from Ephesians chapter 2, let me just quick share a story with you. Back in April, uh, the mayor of Mackinac contacted us and invited Newcastle Bible Church to host a community church service in Veterans Park in Mackinac on the Sunday morning of MacaFest, He appreciates how God is working in all the local churches in our community, and he recognizes that the MacaFest weekend offers a great opportunity for churches to preach the good news of Jesus that brings hope and peace to our communities. And so how in the world could we possibly say no to an invitation like that? So this next Sunday, in just seven days from today, at 11 a.m., we are going to transport our worship service from this room into Veterans Park in Mackinac, and we are praying that God will be glorified as we invite our community to worship Jesus together with us right in the town center. So please listen carefully, because next Sunday's schedule will obviously be different than normal. Next Sunday, July 17th, we will still have our 8 o'clock service here in this room like normal, but then after the 8 o'clock service, we will not have any programming during the 9.30 hour, so no 9.30 children's or adults ministry next week as we'll all be getting set up at the park for the service that starts at what time? 11 o'clock. But you're going to want to make sure and plan to be there extra early so that you have time to find parking get your lawn chairs set up and your blankets and just help us love the community with great hospitality and love bring your smiles bring your name tags bring your lawn chairs there won't we're not planning any children's programming during that service so Bring your kids and set out the blankets and let's just have a wonderful time as families together worshiping Jesus in the park. So church, please, pray. Pray fervently for all this God-sized ministry that we are asking God's Spirit to do through us this week. Pray for our VBS program, our One Way Kids program, both of them happening this week. Pray for... Our volunteers from this church that are serving our community at the food tent at MacAfest Saturday night, that they can be clear, strong witnesses for Jesus. Pray for this, the park service that happens on Sunday at 11. We want to glorify God together through our humble dependence and our missional faithfulness together this week. So now let's turn our attention to the ancient words found in Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 11 to 22, this second half of chapter 2 in Ephesians is all about the Christian's position in Christ. So the first half is our individual position in Christ, we're saved by grace alone, not through works, and the second half of chapter 2 is all about our position in Christ together as a body, Paul wants his readers to understand that God has united us in grace so that we might live in love together, all to the praise of his glory. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or if you're a non Jew, which is called a Gentile, the grace of God unites all people together in Christ in one body called the church. We're going to read this text today. Today's going to be a little bit of a different message than normal, just fair warning, because we're going to break this message into two parts. And so today, basically, I'm going to start our study by giving a lot of background and historical context to this particular passage, and we'll start studying it, but we're just going to scratch the surface today, and then we'll have to finish it next week in our time together. So please stand for the reading of God's Word as I read Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 11 to 22 from the ESV translation. Ephesians 2 verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. He came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we've just read this this marvelous mystery how how you've united Jew and Gentile together into one body. You've you've made peace where there was only hostility before. You've broken down the dividing wall of hostility, you say, through your blood, through the cross, through your flesh. Father, we need your help because we are a proud people. We don't excel at humility. We don't excel at reconciliation. We don't excel at being peacemakers. We are people who are proud. And we are people who forget where we came from. So help us to remember Help us to remember today the glories of your marvelous grace that is given to us through the cross of Christ. I pray, Father, that today's message would be far more than just information, but that today your spirit would actually save souls. I pray, Father, that your spirit would open blind eyes, that your spirit would set captives free. I pray today that your spirit would reconcile Broken relationships, broken marriages, broken parent-child relationships, broken employer-employee relationships, broken relationships, simply by changing hearts through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive sinners today, and we will be full of joy. Oh God, remove all distractions and help us. We need you, we love you, and we wait on you now. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, our world is certainly full of broken relationships. And the reason for that is because our world is full of sin. James chapter 4 clearly teaches that the root cause of all conflict is actually sinful desire. Sin is what causes separation between people and God, and therefore sin is what causes separation between people and people. The fundamental root cause of all your broken relationships is always sin. And that's why Paul teaches in the second half of Ephesians 2 that Jesus' death is the answer to your alienation with God and with others. Oh, this is a very timely and practical message for us, church. Better politics, better laws are not the ultimate answer for the relational brokenness that we're all experiencing in this world today. Education and tolerance training is not the final answer for our divided society. Wealth distribution or inequality is not the greatest cause for our fighting Even the restoration of fathers to their rightful place in the home, although that's significant, it's not a sufficient answer to the separation that every person on earth is experiencing with God and with others in our day. You will never experience relational oneness with God or with others as long as sin is in your life. But listen. Because of the substitutionary death of Jesus, your sin can actually be covered. Your sin can actually be removed forever. And once sin is out of the way, all of our vertical and horizontal relationships can be reconciled back to unity, back to oneness. Jesus' death is the answer for all of your alienation, for all of your separation, all of your broken relationships with God and with others. So Ephesians 2 is immensely practical for every one of us today because although I don't know who you are, someone here today is suffering the disorienting pain of a broken relationship with someone. Someone here today is feeling personally disconnected from God, perhaps even at war with God. And the cross of Christ is what kills the hostility of sin. The cross of Christ is what kills sin's animosity and can make you forever one with God and His people if you will only repent if you only believe in Jesus. Today's passage is going to take a deep dive into the ageless conflict between Jews and Gentiles in order to highlight the the reconciling power of the cross. So Jesus' death truly unites all kinds of people together In Christ, making from both groups one new people of God that we call the church. And this is radical. This is life-changing. But before we begin to dive into this, we must first spend about 15 minutes reviewing Herod's temple in Jerusalem, believe it or not. And we're going to review Herod's temple in Jerusalem And then we're going to also review a personal story from Paul's own life from Acts chapter 21 because what you're going to understand after we've taken the time to set that table that actually what happened in Acts 21 and what happened in Herod's temple is actually on Paul's mind as he's writing Ephesians 2. So for us to best understand Paul's thoughts of Ephesians 2, we first have to understand, listen carefully, how the Jewish temple in Jerusalem was actually a visible symbol, a picture of alienation between the Jews and the Gentiles. The temple was a visible symbol of relational brokenness and separation of people between people and people between God all because of sin let's look at the herod's uh, temple on the temple mount now the jewish temple that both jesus and paul frequently visited in jerusalem it was built by herod the great and the temple itself, it was beautiful. It was covered with gold. It was, it was a majestic piece of architecture. But it, was, it occupied the center of a large raised platform that was called the Temple Mount. So this magnificent temple was surrounded by a series of courts that were each designed to discriminate among people on the basis of how far or how near they could be to a holy God. So the outermost court, the largest court of the, that surrounded the temple was called the Court of the Gentiles. Since God had originally intended for his Jewish people to be a witness to all the nations of the people of the earth, God provided a place of worship in his temple for the Gentiles. But before the death of Christ, the closest a non-Jew could get to God was this outer court. And in fact, by the time of Jesus' ministry, the Jews had turned this outer court into mostly a robber's den, more than a place of worship within the temple mount. From the court of the Gentiles, if you crossed a barricade and climbed 14 steps and then another level place and then five more steps, you could enter the court of the women, which is highlighted in blue on the screen. This was the closest a Jewish woman could ever get to God's presence. Next was the court of Israel, pictured in yellow, where Jewish males could assemble around the temple for their worship. And the court of Israel surrounded the court of the priest where the temple itself stood. Only male members of the tribe of Levi could enter the priest's court, which was where the temple actually was. God's dwelling place actually was. Now, of course, inside this majestic temple building itself, there was first the holy place which was separated from the most holy place by a huge curtain. And since the very presence of God himself lived in the most holy place behind the curtain, only one man, Israel's high priest, could enter into the most holy place, and then he could only enter into that place once a year after making a blood sacrifice for himself and his own sins and a blood sacrifice for the sins of all the people. So can you see, church, can you see how the temple itself was a visible picture of separation between God and man and between different classes of people? The very layout of the temple illustrated how sin alienates people, all people from God and from one another And the Jewish people took all these divisions very, very seriously. In fact, there was a clear barrier or a dividing wall that separated all Gentiles from all Jews within the temple. And this is the wall that Paul refers to in verse 14 of our text today. He calls it the dividing wall of hostility. Because repeatedly around this wall... Was inscribed in both Greek and Latin a warning that read, No foreigner is to enter within the balustrade and embankment around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which follows. Translation this is like a first century trespassers will be prosecuted sign, right? Except literally, The barrier between Jew and Gentile worship in the temple was full of trespassers will be killed signs. You talk about hostility. Any non-Jewish person who dared to cross this dividing line in the temple mount would be immediately killed by the Jewish worshipers. Now, in some ways, it's, it's, it's hard for us to even comprehend this level of severity of religious discrimination, but this was a huge reality for Paul, a huge reality for Christians in the first century. The religious separation between a Jewish and a Gentile worshiper was a matter of life and death, and it was very personal for Paul, Paul who was the apostle to the Gentiles After all, let's remember, what was the crime that Paul committed that caused him to be imprisoned, which actually was the reason why he's in Rome now, even writing this letter to the Ephesian church from a Roman prison? What caused Paul to be arrested? You find the answer to that in Acts chapter 21. So open your Bibles now to Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, Paul had just returned from missionary journeys with the Gentile churches, and he was bringing a financial collection from the Gentile churches back to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And when Paul met with James who was the leader of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. When he he met with James in Jerusalem, James warned Paul of a strong Jewish nationalism in the city. And he convinced Paul to, to, to take a Jewish vow of purification in the temple. But while Paul was fulfilling his vow in Herod's temple, verse 27 of Acts 21 reads this way. The Jews from Asia, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and they laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Verse 29. For they had previously seen who? Trophimus the Ephesian with Paul in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought Trophimus into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, Word came to the tribute of the cohort that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. So listen, church, why was Paul arrested again? Because they thought that Paul brought a Gentile believer past the dividing wall of hostility. They tried to kill Paul for no other reason than that they thought that Paul had brought an Ephesian believer closer to God than what they allowed. Loved ones, don't miss this. What Paul is writing here to the Ephesian believers, to to the Gentile believers in Ephesus, this is very powerful and this is very personal, personal. They know And Paul knows that this is the very issue that landed him in the very prison that he now occupies in Rome, even while he's writing this letter. Paul the Jew and Trophimus the Gentile are both well-known and dearly loved by this Ephesian church. And that's what makes Paul's writing here so radical, so life-changing, Because the religious difference between a Jew and a Gentile was a matter of life and death in the day. There could be no greater relational brokenness, no greater alienation between two groups than that of first century Jews and Gentiles. And yet what Paul's about to argue is that sin, not national ethnicity, Sin is what causes separation between people and God. And therefore, sin is what causes division between people and people. The fundamental root cause of all of our broken relationships is always sin. And that is why Jesus' death for sin is the answer to all of our alienation with both God and others. Now, hopefully this historical background behind Ephesians 2 will help us better understand now Paul's logic as we walk through this text about our glorious oneness or unity in Christ. So let's dive into Paul's argument now, and then we'll start it, and then we'll have to finish it in part two next week as time allows. So verse 11 begins by calling the Gentile Christians in Ephesus to remember their past. After verses 4 to 10, celebrate their new individual position in Christ and in his saving grace. Now the rest of chapter 2 celebrates our relational position together. If you're going to appreciate and enjoy the unity that God intends for his children to have with each other, then Christian, you must remember your past. You must remember your past alienation apart from Christ's death. Before God united us to Jesus by grace through faith, we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins. And sin always creates relational brokenness or alienation, both spiritually with God and socially with others. So look carefully at verse 11 where Paul calls us to remember how our relationships were broken socially with others. Spiritual unity always starts with a humility that remembers where you came from before Christ. Verse 11 starts this way. Therefore, in light of the fact that you are now God's workmanship, in light of the fact, Christian, that you are now God's trophy of grace, therefore, In light of the fact that your salvation was not because of anything that you said or did. In light of the fact your salvation was entirely an undeserved gift of God's grace. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh that are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. See, what what Paul wants Gentile Christians to remember That before they were saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus' death, they were separated from the circumcision. Now, that's kind of a strange thing to say. I understand that. Like, what does that mean? Separated from the circumcision. So let me try to explain. The Jews boastfully referred to themselves as we are the circumcision. Because all of the Jewish males were circumcised in obedience to God's law in order to set themselves apart as God's special people. So because they circumcised their males and none of the other peoples of the world did, they called themselves were the circumcised and all the others are the uncircumcised. The uncircumcised was a derogatory term. It was a term of judgment, condescension. They considered everybody else the uncircumcised, the religious outcast. But here's the irony of what Paul's saying in verse 11. Do you see how Paul repeats the phrase in the flesh twice in verse 11? Gentiles in the flesh, called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. So by repeating that phrase in the flesh twice, Paul is emphasizing the external. The, the physical, the supernatural, the the superficial, excuse me, the superficial nature of the Jews' judgments against Gentiles. The Jewish people had missed God's point altogether regarding circumcision. God had intended for the physical circumcision to be a visible indicator of a spiritual heart that has been cut off from sin. But the Jews forgot about the spiritual aspect of spiritual circumcision and instead focused only on the outward mark of the flesh, something their own hands could do, and thereby discriminated and judged others entirely based on externals. And Paul is saying, listen up Christian. Remember that apart from Jesus' death, your religious relationships with others were entirely based on external distinctions of visible customs, religious traditions, ceremonies, good works. Apart from Christ, all of us were religious legalists. And we were all making up our own man-made system of religion or irreligion. And then we judged others or we were judged by others only by a set of external rules designed to puff ourselves up or tear others down. You see, apart from Jesus' death, every person on the earth practices a religion of human accomplishment. We trust in the works of our own hands for our position with God. But whenever anyone is trusting in their own good works or they are trusting in their external expressions of their religion for their spiritual standing before God, they will always be judgmental. They will always be self-righteous. They will always be critical, competitive, divisive, and their relationships will suffer. Religious legalism always destroys Christian unity. So remember, Christian, where you came from. Jesus set us free from trusting in physical distinctions of any kind in light of all that God has done for us in Christ as a free gift of his grace. Remember how your former attempts at all external religion only brought social alienation to your relationships with others. And also, according to verse 12, remember how you were spiritually separated with God before Jesus' death. So here in in verse 12, Paul's calling us to remember five different spiritual blessings that were completely out of reach of all the Gentiles before Jesus died for our sins. So in other words, God wants, wants Christians to be humble enough to remember that All of our spiritual blessings to us in Christ were truly a gift. They were undeserved. We didn't deserve them. The Gentile Christians in Ephesus had no right to claim any of these spiritual blessings that chapter 1 and chapter 2 have already described to be theirs in Christ. Apart from Jesus' death, all Gentiles were spiritually alienated from God Because at that time, they were, how does the verse say it, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, I understand most of us in this room today are not pure Jews. So that means we're Gentiles. And it's very easy for us then to relate to the Gentile Christians in Ephesus So let's be humble enough, Newcastle Bible Church today, let's be humble enough to consider each of these expressions as expressions of our own past alienation with God apart from Jesus' death. First, Paul says that the Gentiles were at that time separated from the Christ, meaning that the Gentiles, as a people group, were separated from the knowledge of Christ, they were not even aware of the Messiah. The religions and national histories of the Gentile people were at a huge disadvantage when compared to the Jewish history and the Jewish religion because Gentile paganism knew nothing of a Messiah who would come to deliver people from their sins. So remember, apart from Jesus' death, all Gentiles like us would have remained in sinful ignorance of God's deliverer, of the, of the Messiah, the Christ. Remember also that before Christ, all Gentiles were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. Commonwealth is a word just means nation or citizenship. So all Gentiles were outside of the participation of God's blessed nation. The only way for Gentiles to participate in God's blessing before Jesus died was for them to first become Jewish, just like Ruth the Moabitess did, or Naaman the Syrian in the Old Testament. Us Gentiles were also separated from the covenants of promise, meaning that as a people group, Gentiles had no promise, no covenant from God for blessing, for a kingdom, for a king. God made a special covenant with Abraham and Abraham's descendants, not with the rest of the nation's. Therefore, all sinners like us, Gentiles, who were outside of God's promise, were forever separated from these benefits. Therefore, we were all separated from the confidence of hope. Apart from Christ, life was utterly meaningless and purposeless, without purpose. Apart from Jesus' death that killed our sin, apart from Jesus' death that united us all together in God's family, our only hope was Despair. Oh, Christian, remember where you've come from. We were all without God in the world, apart from Christ. We were separated from the creator in the world. The creator God is the source of every good thing, right? He's the source of everything good. But when you're separated from personal knowledge of your creator, the result is that you will always worship the creation, And your souls will be eternally separated from the very God that we were created to worship. So what's Paul's point in all this? In light of all the grace that God has poured out upon you richly in your salvation, remember, you didn't deserve any of it. You Gentiles were at a severe spiritual disadvantage. You were left in a godless worldview of humanism, of materialism, and of paganism. Apart from the death of Jesus in your place, you were socially alienated with others because of the pride and the hostility of religious legalism, and you were spiritually alienated with God because of your religious ignorance. But, verse 13 almost shouts it, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We're going to unpack more of these verses next week, but just for now, Christian, realize your present reconciliation. In Jesus' death, now that you have been made alive together with Christ, now that you have been raised up with Christ, now that you've been seated with Christ in heavenly places, now those Gentiles like me and like you who used to have to stay in the outer court behind the dividing wall of hostility, now we have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. We have been reconciled socially with others and spiritually with God. Trophimus and Paul can now both enter not only just the court of Israel, but by the blood of Christ, both Trophimus and Paul and every other person who is saved by God's grace can enter, to dwell together with the holy God in the holiest of holies and not be consumed. Look at verse 14. For Christ Jesus himself is our peace. He's made us both one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So, what brought religious discrimination to an end? Not a work of human flesh. But the death of Jesus himself. The sacrifice of Jesus is what kills all the hostility of religious and irreligious pride. There's no more external ceremonies like physical circumcision that define God's people. The ceremonial law of the commandments has been abolished, verse 15 says. Also, that Jesus might create a new humanity that's neither Jewish nor Gentile. A spiritual body, a body of peace where all sinners can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. There's so much more we need to say about this, but come back next week. But for now, I just want you to understand clearly that Jesus' death is the answer to your alienation with God and with others because Jesus' death is what paid for sin and all of our sin is the root cause behind all of our separation with God and with others. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. He gave his own flesh to be torn so that Jews and Gentiles alike could all have peace with God and have an eternal access to our Father who is in heaven. So how will you respond this morning? I think this is really, really good news. Through the scriptures today, God has seen fit to reveal to you what many Gentiles in the years past could have never known. Jesus, the sinless God-man, is the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Anointed Christ His death and his resurrection is the source of eternal hope for all who believe in him. You no longer need to live in estrangement with others. You no longer need to live in estrangement with God. You must just believe. Repent of your sins. Believe that Jesus' death paid the price for your sins. Trust Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf. Stop trusting your own religious works, your own external distinctions for your spirituality. Remember, remember, all your salvation is entirely by God's grace alone, and it's not your own doing. Salvation is a gift from God. So friends, lay down your pride lay down your bitterness, lay down your animosity and your judgment, repent of your sins, believe in the Lord Jesus, so that first you may experience eternal peace with God himself. And then next week, we're going to talk more about how Jesus' death for us makes it possible then for us to reflect our peace with God and how we make peace with others around us as well. Oh, praise God, church, for the cross of Christ where sin was put to death so that we could all be made one together in him. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for your amazing work tearing down the dividing wall, abolishing all the ordinances, all the religious discrimination, and making of people, one new body, a new temple, a new family, a a new nation in Christ. So, Father, we pray that you please help us. Help us to repent of our sins. Every every one of us struggles with the selfishness and pride. Every one of us is a recovering legalist. We, We are so prone to judge others based on our own external distinctions, forgive us, Father. Help us to remember who we were before you. And may that humility empower such a strong love and unity, first with you and then with others, all by your saving grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen
0: you would you please stand as we sing about the cornerstone, the foundation of our unity, of our salvation, and of the church in Jesus Christ.
2: First Corinthians 311 says this, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of our faith, the foundation of the church, the foundation of our salvation, the foundation of our standing before God forever, the foundation of our fellowship with him in his presence is nothing but Jesus. His death, resurrection, ascension, the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus is the foundation for our union together as his church. I pray that you'd celebrate that. I pray that you'd rejoice in that. And I pray that that understanding would eradicate and obliterate all discrimination and racism and prejudice that is among us, that we would truly become one as we are in Christ. Well, today is a wonderful day at Newcastle Bible Church because today we start a brand new season of adult discipleship electives. If you look at the very back of your worship folder, you're going to see a list of classes. And today is the very first day that those classes start, a new session of 12-week classes. So please pay attention to that and uh, uh, be part of that. If you are newer in our church family, Um, Today we also have a newcomer's breakfast at 9.30 right over in the intersection building. And we'd love if you haven't been here in a long time and you're back from a long time or if you've never been to a newcomer's breakfast, come join us for a special time of food and just getting to know a little bit of the leaders of Newcastle and what we're all about here at Newcastle Bible Church. We'd love to host you and enjoy a sweet time of fellowship with you today at 9.30 in the Intersection Cafe. So let's pray our benediction as we go out into this amazing week, this very, very busy week of witness and worship together. Let's pray it. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church And in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever, and God's people would say, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.